Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. I want to start off tonight with a quote uh, from one of my favorite authors and arguably the best author on leadership of our generation. Uh, John Maxwell says that a great leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And um, Pastor Michael and Lisa, I want to honor you guys because I think that you truly epitomize that. Um, from us starting in a high school through a, a tent, you guys always knew the way. You always knew where we needed to go. And even when a lot of us didn't, we were like, hey, I don't know how this tent thing's going to work. You guys always knew the way. But the second piece that was so important to me is you always went the way. Everything that we did, I, I know and I knew then that there'd never be anything I did that you wouldn't do with me. And so I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. Thank you for calling out the gold in all of us, elevating all of us. You guys are awesome. All right, we'll get into the message a bit tonight. Um, as we head into our new building, as Pastor Lisa so brilliantly touched on in her last message, we're really stepping into our promised land. We're stepping into the fulfillment of a vision that started with Pastor Jurgen a long time ago. And I'm super excited for it, but I want to I caution us because as we step into El Cajon, into our new building, into our new city, there's going to be a lot of giants there. There's going to be a lot of kings and things there that we haven't faced yet, that we haven't seen yet. And, you know, if we think that it's, it's, okay, it's time for us to go into our cushy seats. Do I need to hold this closer, Scott? Cool. If, it, if we think it's time for us to go into our cushy seats, sit back and relax, hang out, and really just rest in our promised land, we're a little bit mistaken. I'll tell you, when Joshua went, into, went across the Jordan into the promised land, when he took the children of God into the promised land, immediately after crossing the river, they had to defeat 31 different kings. 31 different kingdoms, and none of them just laid down their swords and said, oh, you're the God's chosen ones? Well, why don't we just give you, here's our kingdom, come on in. They had a battle for it. They had a war for it. And I'll tell you, church, it's time as a church, it's time as East Campus for us to prepare for war. Um, I want to read real quickly out of Joshua. This is the, the story. So Joshua chapter 1, uh, verse 6, it'll be up on the screen. This is God talking to Joshua and charging him with the commission for what he called him to do. And it said, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and be successful in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. I want to pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a church that is strong and courageous. I thank you for pastors like Jurgen and Leanne, Father God, that have gone before us, that have boldly said, we will be a church that's strong and courageous. We will be a church that crosses into new territory, that takes new ground. Father God, I thank you for this time and this season, Lord God, where we are able to step into the fullness of what you've called us to. Lord, I pray as I speak tonight that it not be my words, but it be your words that flow out of my mouth, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The, um, the title of my message today is called Weapons of Warfare. And, um, you know, we're in our, our series called Culture Clash right now. And, you know, there's a huge, when you look at biblical warfare and you look at warfare of today, there's a huge difference in the culture of warfare from biblical times to today. And when you see a massive change in warfare over years, over, over thousands and thousands of years, one thing is behind that change in warfare. It's the change in weaponry. Men's minds didn't change substantially from then until now. Men's strength didn't change substantially from then until now. What changed was the warfare, was the, were the weapons used in warfare. And I wondered, I always think to myself, I always like to like, plant myself in Bible days and think, what would happen if these guys, these army of Joshua's men, just all of a sudden were armed, were just out of nowhere, had AR-15s and RPGs? Like out of nowhere, bam, they've got them. You know what would happen? I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. You know what would happen? You guys can see me sitting there like thinking about this. You know what happened, honestly? Nothing. Not a dang thing. Because they'd be like, what am I going to do? I don't know what this is. They're going to beat each other over the head with them. They don't know how they work. They don't, they don't know anything about them. They probably throw bullets at each Like, what are these things for? And I think it's not much different, to be honest, than when we first accept Christ. Because God says, oh, great. We, another one accepted Christ. All of, all of the heaven's angels rejoices, and God gives us this activation package and says, here you go. Here's everything you need to be successful, everything you need to defeat the enemy. Jesus and I, we finished it. It's done. Go and take it. You've got it. And as a new Christian, we're like, what do I do with this stuff? And I think sometimes even as we grow in maturity, as mature Christians, we're still continuing to find stuff in this package. We're like, what is this thing? I've been saved for 30 years. What does this do? I didn't even know I had this in here. And I I think if we're honest with ourselves, God is continually helping us unwrap some of the weapons of warfare that we can use in our lives. So if it's okay in this this brief next two and a half, three hours, I'm going to go... Go through uh, four points. And, and these are uh, weapons of warfare that I've gleaned out of this story of Joshua, out of this small chapter, um, that really have been ones in my life that have remained, I'll say, in the bag. And Pastor Lisa, you're so right. They don't shake their own dust off. They, they'll sit there as long as I leave them there. And really this last couple weeks, God's really convicted me like, hey, it's time to take some weapons and shake the dust off of them and put them to work. So is this Okay. All right. Um, the first weapon, and again, in, in this short, short text that we just read, I'm sure that you could see a lot of obvious ones. I'm not really going to touch on any of the obvious ones. I'm going to go a little bit deeper. Like I could, I could go through and say, you know, yeah, read our Bible, meditate on the scriptures, don't disobey, don't turn to the left or the right, trust in God. Those are great weapons. I feel like those are weapons I've known from my childhood. Some of these other ones are weapons that God's really been showing me it's, it's time as we grow to reach into the bag. Like there's, there's new giants in our new city that you, the old weapons aren't going to defeat. Like when, when, when warfare advanced and people started using tanks, you're not using muskets to defeat tanks anymore. It's time, it's time to go back and to figure out what, what do we need to do differently. So the, the first um, weapon of warfare for taking ground is action. My point number one is action. And um, Pastor Michael, I want to thank you. 
when you preached on Wonder Woman a couple weeks back, my wife and I immediately went home and watched that movie. And um, one of my favorite quotes is in that movie. It's Captain Steve Trevor when he's talking to Wonder Woman in the cave. Um, and he says, she asked him, like, why do you do what you do? I don't understand. And he gets, like, really profound and quiet, and he says, my father once told me. And then he gives, like, this nice pause. And I'm, like, leaned in, like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. This is going to be so good. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. He said, if you see something wrong in the world, you can either do nothing or you can do something. And right after he says it, I'm like, that's not super helpful. <laughs> like Scott Isaac said, well, like, what are we going to do with that? But it, it, really, it really is that simple. And I think our Heavenly Father was pretty similar to, to Captain Trevor's father in that he makes it really simple for us. And he says, we've got to do something. You can sit on the couch or you can take action. That's why the Bible says that we are, that we are to live out our Christian walk, to take action to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And I'll tell you, in this, in this section of text, three times God repeated to Joshua, be strong and courageous. He said it three times. And I will tell you that if my wife repeats something to me three times, there's usually something I'm not doing. But the third time she's told me to do the dishes, I guarantee you I'm starting to get up like, oh boy, why is she yelling? I'm just joking. My, my wife never yells. Never at all. She's an angel. I love you, babe. But I think it's interesting here. If, if God is continually speaking to Joshua within these four verses, telling him to be strong and courageous, there had to be a piece of him that didn't want to take action, that didn't want to move. And I, I think that God was talking to Joshua and saying, Joshua, I've put a mighty calling on your life. I have placed an incredible calling on your life, and it requires your absolute best. It requires everything you have. You have to take action. You have to be strong and courageous. And I want to tell you, church, it's not much different for you and for me. God has placed a calling on our lives that requires our absolute best. It requires everything that we have to achieve. And without us bringing our best, I think we might fall short sometimes of that calling. Because we'll look to the right or the left and say, well, I don't have what they have. Listen, God's calling on your life doesn't require their best. It requires your best. It requires you to take action and to step up. Like, like Captain Steve said, we can all do something. We can all do something. And I want to encourage you, find out what that something is. As we step into our new territory, open your home for a connect group. Get on a volunteer team. Partner with us in Vision Builders. Serve on a political committee. Get on an education board. Do something. Serve in kids. Help on the high team. I want to tell you that while you may not be able to do everything, you can do something. And I've, been, I've lived in California seven years, and I generally always complain about stuff. And what God told me is, hey, it's time to shift that. And I was like, God, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to run for office. That's not me. And he said, I didn't ask you to run for office. I asked you to do something. And so, you know, I'm excited to say I'm, I'm partnering with a man in our church who is running for office and volunteering on his campaign. And not because, not because of anything else other than God said, you got to do something. you got to do something. My mom as a kid always told me, evil will prevail because good men will do nothing. 
It will prevail as long as good men continue to do nothing. So we have to do something. In Hebrews 11, uh, the hall of faith, it's often called, it, it um, continually repeats the same sentence. It says, by faith, a person's name, and then an action. Always. It says, by faith, Noah prepared the ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Moses was hidden in an ark. By faith, Joseph spoke. By faith, they marched around the walls of Jericho. It was, by faith, an action took place. It didn't say, by faith, they sat on the couch and were endowed with the entire promised land. And I want to tell you, this is why the Bible says faith without works is completely dead. It's completely dead. I, in my life, I've had some big faith for many things. But if I'm honest, I've got to tell you that there's some times I've lacked the action part. And um, I think that we as humans can tend to peg to one side or the other with action. And it's a caution I want to give around action as well. Is we can either sit in one camp and say, God, if you wanted me to, to have that, to do that, you would have just given it to me. Like if you wanted me to be a million dollar giver, I'd just have woke up one morning and be rich. And we just sit there like, clearly, God, you didn't want that. Or we'll peg to the other side of the spectrum and do everything. And we'll strive in our own strength and say, I can do this. I can do more. I can do more. I can, I can accomplish more. I, I can do it all on my own. And action can be, I'll tell you that each of these weapons has a counter weapon that the enemy will use to take the power out of the weapon. And the enemy will take the weapon the weapon of action and try to either get us to do nothing or try to get us to do everything. And what we have to find is that faith-filled action. I can imagine, I can imagine Joshua sitting on the banks of the Jordan saying, God, if you, if you wanted me to be strong and courageous, you would have just made me this way. It's pretty nice on this side of the river. Like Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they're staying here. They've got it right. Like, why don't we just camp out? I can't, I can imagine him sitting there. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to get better with this mic. I can imagine him sitting there and saying, you know, Lord, like, why didn't you just make me this way? Why didn't you just make me strong and courageous? And God said, you have to take action. You have to step into action because I'm not going to move on your behalf unless you move with me. And so I'll tell you, faith without works is dead, but works without faith, as I mentioned, is striving. It's, it's prideful. It's, it's really neglecting the work that Christ did on the cross, which leads me into my second point, which is humility. I will tell you, I've been learning a ton. All these points for me are, are things I've walked through really recently in my life. And um, I've been learning a lot about humility. Uh, I've been learning also a lot about pride. And what we all know that Pride comes before a fall. We've heard that probably from a proud parent at some point in our life. But we've all heard pride comes before a fall. But what that leads to next and logically for me is that humility comes before a victory. And if we can, if we can get this one thing right, if we can get this really well, this is a weapon of warfare that can tear down some strongholds in relationships. It can tear down strongholds in finance, in business. It can tear down some major strongholds. But what I'll tell you is it's really easy to identify blatant pride. Like very prideful people, very prideful men and women, and I'm speaking from experience, having gone through a lot of pride in my earlier life. Very blatant pride is easy to identify, and usually most people that are very outwardly prideful know that they are. 
What I want to caution us on is it's the little things that I call the, the disguised pride. The pride that doesn't look like pride. The pride that maybe sits underneath and just eats away at us, and we don't even know it's there. We don't even know we're being prideful. And um, I'll tell you that we don't notice these things. This is why we need to get into community. This is why we need to get to men's and women's prayer, why we need to be in a connect group, why we need to constantly be in the word with other believers, reading through Bible in a year. I love that we all are reading the same thing. Like we need to constantly be in this place because this is how these things are exposed. And this is how, what the enemy tries to do is take that weapon of, of humility and make you think you're holding it when really you're holding on a pride. And what's exposes, what exposes that is when we get around other people and when we allow them to speak into our life. And I really recently um, had an amazing friend tell me that, um, Jared, if you allow yourself to sit in shame and in self-doubt, if you allow yourself to stay there, at the root of that is pride. And it hit me in all of the right ways. It hit me so hard to know that, like, if I'm saying I don't feel like I'm good enough to be on this stage, I don't feel like I can serve like I'm being asked to serve, I don't feel like I can lead an amazing family like I'm being called to lead. If I say that and I sit in that place in my mind, what I am really saying is it's about me. It's not about God. It's not about what he did on the cross, but it's about me. And it's, it's a pride issue that really I have been pressing into and working through uh, and I'm loving the fruit that's coming from it. Really starting to realize that that humility weapon, when we pick it up, is destroying the enemy. So I want to share, share a verse uh, in 2 Corinthians 10. And um, this verse is really a tool that you can use to defeat those little prides um, and, and really wield that true humility in your life. Um, it says, I think it'll be up on the screen. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that ex exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have got to learn, church, to take our thoughts captive. If we sit in a place and say, well, I mean, if you only knew my past. I want to tell you, church, if you guys only knew my past. Like, the thing about that statement, if you only knew my past, what we're saying is, hey, all the work Christ did on the cross, I'm good with that. But it, it didn't apply to me because of my past. If you only knew. See, I want to tell you, we need to take that if you only knew thought captive and put it under our foot and say, if you only knew what my Jesus did, you wouldn't speak a word to me. When we step into this new building, we can't war. We can't go into battle with problems that arise in our marriage, problems that arise in our finances, problems that arise in our businesses. We can't war them in flesh. We can't go into warfare according to how we feel. We can't go into warfare in accordance with self-doubt or in accordance with shame. We definitely can't go into warfare in accordance with pride. But if we start to figure out that how to take our thoughts captive and not let them run wild, not let them replay over and over, what we're beginning to do is wielding a powerful weapon against the enemy. Humility, true Christ-like humility, frightens the enemy because he knows that when we have it, that's when we begin to rise in true strength. That leads me to my third point, which is grace. Um, grace goes hand in hand with the previous points. 
And I will tell you that you really can only accept true grace in a posture of humility. We, we can't, grace doesn't really mix with pride. It can't. It, like it hits and it bounces off. And what grace is, is, is at least for me, you know, when, when we start to see like grace says, I know your past. I called you anyway. Grace says, I know what you did. I know all of it. I died for you anyway. And I will tell you that like the, the Christianese, I'm, I never got good at Christianese, so I'm sorry. But the Christianese saying is, I can't do this in my own strength. But the truth is, if you try, you can do it in your own strength. It just doesn't lead to blessing. It doesn't lead to victory. It doesn't lead to growth. It leads to stagnation. It leads over and over to bad things. And what I'll tell you is, even Christians can do it in their own strength. And, and so what I, what I want to caution you with with grace is when we try to do things in our own strength, in our own might, what happens is we just block grace from being at power in our life. We block grace from moving the way that we want it to. At least that's how it's been in my life um, when I fall into this trap. But I'll tell you, when we take that faith-filled action and when we do something that seems maybe out of our capacity to do, and we say, you know what, Lord, I, I know that your grace is sufficient for me to accomplish this task. Look, I'm going to tell you, going into this big building, there's some challenges in front of us. But I know that his grace is sufficient for me. I know that Pastor Michael Hunley and me and Will Turner, we can't do it. I know it. We can try. We can, we can have the can-do attitude. But what's bigger than that attitude is I know he can do. So... I... um. The truth underneath grace, for me, is that we don't deserve anything from God. I'll tell you, Pastor Jurgen doesn't deserve anything from God. I don't deserve anything from God. None of us do. But again, back to the previous point, if we sit in this area of, I'm just dirt, God, to you. I'm a worm in your presence. What we're doing is saying, God, this free gift of grace you gave me, no thanks. And I want to tell you that even though we don't deserve it, he gave it to us anyways. And he dropped it in that package that I mentioned in the very beginning, the activation package, and he said, please use it. Take it up. I want you to put on the best coat. And we're like, no, 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 I just came out of the pigsty. Like, all I want to do is be a servant in your house. And he says, I didn't call you to be a servant in my house. I called you to partner with me and be a son in my house. I called you to put on the coat, to put on the ring, to wear my sandals, to carry my name. If we spend too much time, church, worrying about what we don't deserve instead of accepting the grace that he gave us to cover what we don't deserve, I'm telling you, that weapon of grace, it will destroy everything that the enemy can bring at us. The opposite of that, the enemy wants that grace weapon to sit in our bag. He wants us to think we don't deserve it. I truly believe that there was some point in Joshua's life, maybe it was before crossing the Jordan, or maybe it was before marching around the city of Jericho, where he came to a realization, I think, humbly broke down on his knees somewhere and said, Lord, I... I accept your grace. I've been trying. We've been marching around this building for seven days. The people are losing faith. I'm losing faith. I accept your grace. 
I, I can't imagine, like we read this story from the hindsight, and we're like, yeah, it's day seven, it's gonna fall. Could you imagine marching around a building six, seven, eight, nine miles every single day with 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, probably more than that, 100,000 people? Like, come on, guys. Still there. I'm telling you, there was a moment in Joshua's heart where he said, all right, Lord, I, I accept your grace. Let's do this thing. I, I, I have tried. I want to accept your grace. Um, this leads me to my fourth point. If the keys can come join me. Um, my fourth point is sacrifice. And the weapon of sacrifice, I think, is one that can tend to be overlooked a lot. And um, it's one in my life that I have found is, is so powerful in my relationship with God. If you've been reading with us in the Bible in a year, one of the things that really stuck out to me is Solomon, right before receiving the gift of wisdom from God, the full gift of wisdom that people have been talking about for thousands of years, probably what I would call world-changing wisdom, immediately before that, he sacrificed a thousand times to God. Burnt offerings, a thousand times. To quantify that, if it was one sacrifice a day, it would have taken over three years, just under three years, to sacrifice 1,000 times to God. But I think Solomon understood the sacrifice. He understood what it meant. And I'll say I'm so grateful that we don't have to sacrifice burnt offerings anymore. But as David so brilliantly said in Psalms 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And God's been giving me really a lot of revelation around this lately, around what it means to have a broken and contrite heart. And I want to make a clear distinction here. God doesn't need or require broken people as his sacrifice. There's a difference between a broken and contrite heart and a broken man. And I have been both. And when I'll tell you what leads to a broken man, what leads to a broken woman, what really can lead to a broken Christian is neglecting to come before God with a sacrifice of a broken heart. And um, I'll tell you for me, the Bible says that the, the heart is deceitful above all things. And I spent a lot of time rereading that verse. What does that mean, Lord? The heart is deceitful. And it always goes back to those original points, like the things out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like when I say, oh, I'm so tired. I, when I say things like, I just don't feel like I'm good enough for this. I don't feel like I'm worthy for this. I don't feel like my past qualifies me to get on stage and preach to people I love and respect. I don't feel like it. What God is telling me is that heart inside you is deceitful. Bring it before me and break it. What we have to do is continually pick up our cross where Jesus was broken. We have to continually get back on that potter's wheel, continually let God shape us, continually break our heart before him. I want to give one more analogy. When the, when the woman broke the, the alabaster jar with perfume and poured it over Jesus's feet, that was a symbol of just honoring him and I know that what God desires today from each and every one of us is for us to take our heart and say, Lord, what's in here? I don't know. It's a little bit of me. It's a little bit of deceitfulness. 
I think it's a little bit of you, but today, God, I, I break it and I pour it over your feet. And who cares what other people see? Other people saw when she poured the offering or when she poured the perfume over Jesus' feet, they saw money. They said, I don't understand. What, we could have fed the poor with that. But what Jesus saw was sacrifice. What Jesus needs from us to elevate us to where he needs us to be is for us to take our hearts daily to break that alabaster jar and to pour it out. So I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up and join me. And what I want to do is I want to give you guys an opportunity to really bring your hearts to God. I've found that the best way to bring a broken and contrite heart, it doesn't require a lot. Like our God is simple. Just come before him. I, I, I tend to get on my knees, sometimes in my, in my personal bedroom, sometimes at the altar, as much as I can come up. And what I do is I just bring my heart and say, Lord, inside of me are these thoughts. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm scared. Like, I think, I picture Joshua sometimes before he crossed into Jericho. He must have been like, Lord, I'm not the one. I'm scared. I'm nervous. Like, if, if God had to say to him, don't be afraid or discouraged, that means that he was probably feeling afraid or discouraged. And I want to tell you, if you've got discouragement today, if maybe the last six months of, of the stock market up and downs have made you feel discouraged, if something in business has made you feel discouraged, maybe something in a relationship has made you feel discouraged, I want you to take that, bring it up to the altar today and say, Lord, I don't know why, but I'm going to pour this out at your feet. Because when we pour out our hearts at God's feet, he sees the same level of sacrifice. And what, I, what I'll end with is this, the weapon of a broken heart, the weapon of sacrifice is what defeated 31 kings in the promised land. It's what made one of the men in the Bible the wisest of all time. And it's what, it's why we say, it's why God said that David was a man after his own heart, because he understood sacrifice. So as the band plays, as we, as we close out tonight, I want to encourage you to come up to the front. Take a moment. If you need to kneel, kneel. If you need to pray, pray. But just don't miss an opportunity to bring, bring your sacrifice of brokenness before the Lord and, and trust him to fill you. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.